Welcome to Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. This podcast series is compiled from Dr. Whitney's university class entitled Justifying Beliefs. The thesis of this class is that we all hold beliefs, and no matter what they are or how deeply we adhere to them, we owe it to ourselves to apply rational testing of our beliefs in order to aim to justify them. This class takes us along that journey, perhaps for the first time or more deeply. For further insights and materials mentioned in this series, please refer to the resource page on Facebook entitled Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. And so all of these alternatives to the miracle of resurrection, Jesus swooned on the cross. The simple answer to that is, you can't take a beating like that and and not die. And the Roman soldiers wouldn't let somebody swoon or faint on a cross without making sure he was dead. In fact, they stuck a spear through his heart to make sure he was dead. And they didn't even have to break his legs so that he could no longer push himself up and breathe. He was already dead. They practically beat him to death before he got on the cross. There was, a, there was an article in the American Medical Association about the crucifixion where medical doctors examined all of his symptoms. There's no way on earth the man could have swooned and came back from the dead. And even if he could do the impossible and come back with, with, with a swoon, how is he going to convince anybody that he rose from the dead? Like you see, it's, it's, that's not what's talked about. Paul says, taking a creed from the year 33, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Christianity is based on a mistake. It's the, our faith's in vain. That's how sure they believed in 33, three years after the crucifixion. They were convinced that this thing happened as eyewitnesses. And they say over and over again, Luke says it, and uh, John says it at the end of his gospel, and Peter says it in his first letter, the Christians are saying, we're not writing myth. We're, this man we respect, we followed him for three years, day and night, we're not making up stories. There's all kinds of facts here we could throw in. They had memorization skills. Three days, three years, day and night with Jesus, hearing what he said. It's not that hard to, uh, it's not that hard to remember the, uh, the essence of his message. It, I mean, they heard it enough times, and, and, and they saw it enough times. It, 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 there's good evidence that, that some of these things probably happened. I want to talk about the miracle of the resurrection in general. I don't even have to refute these, but I want you to see the criticisms, and then I want you to go and see the evidence. And again, look at it rationally. Don't, don't get your, you know, thinking that somebody's trying to convert you. So let your faith just go to sleep for a minute. Whatever you believe in, and look at the thing rationally. That's what we're supposed to be doing here. We have a mind, so let's use it. Um, in another couple of books, some, some of the arguments specifically, this is from an expert in the resurrection. This is what he spent his life researching, this one guy. He says, first of all, here are some of the arguments against the resurrection miracle in particular. Only science can prove what's right. Well, I don't have to say anything more than that. No, it can't. There's, there's other things that science can't possibly know. Science proves that people don't come back from the dead. Okay, right. That's true. But if somebody does, science, science couldn't admit it according to their own, their own biases because it would be a violation of laws they say can't be violated. So like, these things aren't impressive anymore. Um, science explains everything naturalistically. But the answer would be, how have they explained the resurrection naturalistically? There is so much wrong with those theories. 
The swoon theory doesn't work. The imposter theory that you don't have is another one that doesn't work. Somebody died in his place. Um, like the disciples wouldn't know the difference, you know? After three years, day and night with a man, somebody takes his place. You've got to be kidding. Like, think about that one. Um, the wrong tomb. Um, all of the theories. These are supposedly the scientific criticism of the resurrection that science will explain it naturalistically. And this author, his name is Habermas, says they haven't. They haven't. They've had 2,000 years and they haven't explained it. God can't interfere, is one of the complaints, with, uh, by raising somebody from the dead because that would interfere with the laws of science. Well, we've already looked at that. and No, it wouldn't. It would be one exception to the law of science. And uh, who's to say that the scientific laws can't be violated? Uh, there can't be exceptions except science itself. They have to open their minds and get rid of the pride, maybe, and a little humility thinking that maybe they don't know everything. Maybe you can have a, an exception to a scientific law. Or science... Now, here's a good criticism. Science has to assume naturalism. Now, that one I, I accept. Science has to assume there's a naturalistic explanation because the purview... The field of science is an investigation of natural events. Now, they haven't found one yet. So again, I think the answer is, yeah, that's the scientific uh, mandate, is to find a naturalistic explanation for everything. But if there isn't one, maybe it would be nice to be open to some evidence, just rationally, instead of having this bias saying there can't be a non-rationalistic reason. Like, they're just not open to it. You don't even see them saying it's possible there's a supernatural explanation. They say it has to be natural, and we, we will find it. Well, it doesn't have to be natural, and they will never find it, would be the theological response, because it isn't natural. Um, there is evidence for life after death. There is evidence that you can refute. This, all this stuff goes together. Ten... Uh, misunderstandings of what the resurrection is. It's not just a spiritual thing. It's not reincarnation. It's not just a vision. Like he tells you, he gives you ten misunderstandings of what it is. Well, what it is, is that, is, it's a, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that's the key text where he's talking about this ancient creed from Peter. It's not just a corpse resuscitating. It's a new kind of spiritualized body. Um, I know I'd have to go on in the theology class for days to explain that. It's still misunderstood by most people. It's not just the body being resuscitated. That's an impossibility. And it's still a battered and blooded body. It's a, it's a spiritualized body. The Christian belief is, is that the body and the soul rise, not just the soul like the Hebrews believed and some Greeks, and certainly not a, not a, not a body in a physical form, but a spiritualized body. That's what Paul tries to explain in 1 Corinthians 15. It's, most Christians don't even understand it. The theologians do. It, it's a spiritualized body. It, it's, a different, it's like he's saying you're planted a seed, you, you become a tree. It's a different kind of thing. It's still you. You still have the marks, but it's, Jesus still had the marks. It was a body, but it was spiritualized. In other words, it wasn't just a vision it wasn't just a, a, an hallucination or whatever. He didn't just rise, and he didn't rise without a soul or a resuscitated corpse or whatever. Jesus raised, by the way, during his ministry, according to the scriptures, three people from the dead. They eventually died again. But when you rise, 
the Christian belief is that the last days we rise as a spiritualized body, body and soul, but a new kind of body. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, you put on a new cloak. It's like a supernatural body. We don't have a word for it. Paul's trying to explain what it's not a physical body the way it was. It's not a spirit. It's, it's a spiritualized body, a supernatural body. That's a very difficult doctrine, but it's the Christian belief. Then he says, I'm going to give you refutations of four naturalistic theories. The swoon theory, the conspiracy theory, the stolen body, the hallucination theory, and the myth theory. Now, what he says about myth there is really important because that's the big one. Most people don't believe in the swoon, hardly anybody. Uh, most people don't believe in the stolen body. That makes no sense. It's the myth one. That's the big one, that the thing was made up later. And then he's going to give you the information about how this thing was eyewitness. It was early. It was too early for myth. A Jew would never even think of this kind of a myth because it was inconceivable that anybody would rise from the dead in a spiritualized body. It makes no sense to a Jew. It's never happened in history before. It, it, it's a whole new dimension. That's why no one could make it up. And to make it up would be just instant death and blasphemy in a Jewish culture if you were lying, you know, about, about this thing. And, the, and if it was made up, the body would be paraded out and they would be shown to be liars and immediately killed. So it's not a swoon, he says. It's that, it's straightforward. I don't see, like what this tells me, if it's that simple, like, is this the best we can do saying that the resurrection didn't happen? Like, it, there has to be a natural explanation and, and it turns out that these great criticisms of the resurrection turn out to be swoons, stolen bodies, hallucinations, and myths. I think among those four, the myth is the important one, and there's good arguments against it. And then he ends with five other objections about historical things in general that we can't possibly know what happens in history. And there's, That's the essence of justifying Christianity. It's, it's basically the miracle of the resurrection. That's number one and foremost. It's, it's the prophecies. It's the state of the texts. Who wrote them? Were they eyewitnesses? Were they, you know, were, there, were, they, were they biased in a way that, would, you know, that, that could make it up? Were they capable of making it up in a three-year period or a short time? All of this fits in together. It's not just one. We often mistake justifying and criticizing people's beliefs by thinking that it's one simple thing. Like, you could probably refute us, you know, or think, let's just say you can't refute it, but you could say, I don't believe in the resurrection, but I, I can believe in, in the prophecies. But that doesn't refute Christianity. Um, it, it's a cumulative case. And that doesn't prove Christianity if I can say, well, I believe in the resurrection, but I'm not sure about the prophecies. It's a cumulative thing. We need them all. We need them all. And there's Christians, unlike a lot of other religions, have taken a lot of trouble to verify and justify their beliefs. My complaint is that not enough people do that. We believe anything with, with, without a provocation and w without any, any real reason. Here is a good test case of how to do it. Look at the evidence for a belief Look at the evidence against it rationally. Get rid of your religious bias. It's irrelevant. Just look at it rationally. And, and you can, because quite frankly, evidence is evidence. That's why we try to justify belief 
That's why you can do it, no matter what you believe. If your belief is true, there should be some justifiable evidence for it. If it isn't true, then you might have a hard time finding some justifiable evidence. But think about that. If, 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 without offending any Scientologist here, because we don't want to go after somebody's religion. That's not the name of the game. This is a rational study of what we can know about evidence to justify belief. Once you see the evidence, you, you make up your own mind spiritually. That's a different thing completely. And that's, it's not really up to the evidence. Most Christians are more than happy to say, theologians are more than happy to say, evidence isn't going to convince anybody one way or the other. It's, it's really a, an emotional thing. I think, though, evidence is important for a Christian and for a non-Christian and for a Muslim and for a, a Scientologist. I think we have an obligation, right? That's the thesis of the whole class. We need to investigate what we believe rather than wasting your life on some fantasy. There may be different versions of truth. Maybe postmodernism is right. I certainly doubt that if they conflict. I think a lot of people have versions of the truth, but when you conflict, then you have to decide, is God personal or impersonal? Can you say both? One last point. In Western culture, we say it's either or. God's personal or God's impersonal. Let's just say, I'm trying to say all religions may have some kind of truth. That, that's, a, that's a basic fact. There might be truth. There probably is some truth in all points of view. But when they conflict, when you say like a Buddhist believes that there's nothingness, that there's no God, and a Christian or a Muslim says there is a God, then we have to start using what evidence is there. Can you say there is a God and there isn't? Or there, it's either or. Now, my point is, my last point is, I think in the Western culture, we're convinced that it's either or. Either there's a God or there isn't. Because that's the way we think until postmodernism is starting to creep in and New Age spirituality. But the Eastern view and the one that's starting to come in, in postmodernism and New Age is that, hey, they both can be true. Everybody can be true. Because there really is no truth. It's all true. And it's all false. Because we're at this level of illusion anyway. Now, I can't live my life that way. It would be so simple to say, there's nothing to study. Everything is just an illusion anyway. We're at this level where our spiritual consciousness hasn't risen, so we don't know what ultimate reality is all about. So you believe what you believe, and I believe what I believe, and it doesn't matter because we're all, we're all so far away from the truth anyway that we're all wrong. I'm still a believer that we can use our reason and logic and rationality, look at evidence coldly, objectively, and make up our minds with at least a little bit of evidence that we're not living our life in vain following some Scientology dream. Um, maybe, I mean, I don't know if that bothers you, but it, it's always bothered me to live a lie. Like, it, it, I've heard a lot of students complain about other students. I don't, but I've, I've heard students say, these people are, in general, this culture is just so superficial. We don't know what to believe anymore because it's a chaos out there. We have a smorgasbord. We're over-spiritualized. There's too much choice. It's confusing. They, maybe they're just all true. Well, my, my response is, I don't think everything is true. I think if something conflicts, either the thing happened or it didn't. Either this is true about God or this is true. And I think we have a mind that's capable 
And according to Christianity, we're more than capable of having enough evidence for God. It's not overwhelming, but it's certainly enough. And we have enough evidence about most things if we just look for it. Now, I know that sounds like a big deal. I, I don't know whether you're going to apply any of this, but that's, that's my hope. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us for the next episode as the journey of justifying beliefs continues. 